0: where famously no one can hear you scream in honor of voyagers what's your favorite space film that probes the human experience
1: i'm katie rich and i'm just going to say that that part of interstellar where matt damon weeps and hugs Matthew mcconaughey because he's the first person he's seen in decades it's feeling really relatable these days
2: i, I hope the next part of what matt dylan matt damon does in that movie is uh, <laughs> not going to turn out to be what relatable. matt
1: Dillon does in interstellar i think we should discuss more honestly <laughs> yeah.
2: criminally uh. under performance I'm
3: Matt Patches, and I find that scene where Harland Williams farts in his uh, space suit on Mars in the movie Disney's Rocket Man to be really relatable, so I'm going to go with that.
0: Hmm. I'm David the Seven, and the more space movies I see and the longer I live, the more I appreciate Event Horizon's Hell Dimension.
2: Uh, I'm David Ehrlich, and I, I hate to give, I think, the most obvious answer, but... It's true. Uh, I was just going to pull a joke out of my ass and say, like, Pandorum or something. But as we all know, Pandorum did not actually take place in space. Spoilers for Pandorum. I'll go with Solaris, not the Soderbergh one. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through
1: fine.
0: I'm coming through fine too,
1: eh? Good. Then, well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 343. It is Pandemic 55. It is the week of Wednesday, April 7th, 2021. That is the day that in 2003, U.S. troops captured Baghdad. Woof. Remember day- that? Dave was just, very
3: excited on that day, if I recall. He was hooting and hollering and saying, we got him. There was
1: another fact where
0: it was like Lewis and Clark stopped wintering at Fort Madsen and continued moving west. And I thought about doing that for a while. But I was like, no, we can't unwrite this history that we lived through.
1: We're waiting for Dave and the city of Denver to stop wintering themselves. But, Dave, uh, I don't want to yet. open
3: a can of worms too early, but do you think that um, the U.S. invasion of uh, Iraq was a good idea? Uh, um No. Oh, I
2: don't good. I don't I'm think glad. it was a good idea. I'm glad we
1: could settle all it's once good to be
2: all. setting the temperature for the kind of conversation we're gonna be having <laughs> <really> this episode <laughs> and, and I
1: think that it's a lot about conflict.
2: To, <laughs> the listeners
1: deserve to know like if you know if they can't listen to this not knowing if you know, we supported the war
3: in Iraq. yeah
0: they they could they could support me uh and then suddenly learn that I voted for the war in Iraq and then <laughs> change you their were mind. in the that's, Senate at
1: the time that's too. valid,
0: <laughs> yeah, I got, don't you guys remember when I was in the Senate in two thousand three?
1: It was big news, yeah. First right.
3: minor in the no,
1: <laughs> you were old. You were you were, you were just barely old enough to vote, not to uh to serve in the Senate. No, is there an age limit on the Senate? There's not, right? There, there has to be. There is an is age there?
2: limit on the Senate. Okay, uh, but maybe not. If not. Why haven't we had a do Doogie Hauser set in the Senate yet?
1: Well, we've got Madison Cawthorn in the House right now, so
2: you have to be a. So it's let's see and <laughs> no, we have to know the answer to this you have to be 30 you have to be 30 okay no, and 35 president 30 none are. of us have run yeah yes. no it's true yeah none that's of true. us are none of us are eligible yet but maybe the next election will finally yeah. be ready
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're young all, all right uh we this week are talking about godzilla versus kong no matter what because it's the week that we talk about godzilla versus kong but we have a new threat If you don't, leave us a (laughs) review. Dave and David are going to talk about their fucking video game that I don't understand. All right,
2: Kitty. I – we're trying like to elaborate just so they understand the terms and conditions. No, the audience no, definitely understands what about we're about it, talking about. Because yeah, we
1: have a no. review this week, so, agree, so you'll I get your chance. I agree with Katie. <laughs> Jesus
2: See, Christ. The problem Hold here your is tongue. that I, I want to talk about the thing. I know. Oh. <laughs> um,
0: That's the greatest threat oh, of all. Exactly. Welcome welcome to Team David, finally. Oh,
2: boy.
1: <laughs> the people have given you th- something else to read. All so right. sure
2: well, read that. I do want to extend a heartfelt thank you to our listeners for precluding uh us from talking about Godzilla vs. Kong. Uh, for the last few weeks. It's really meant a lot to me. Um, It's really been the last thread of my sanity that I've been clinging to uh, leading up to the vacation I took last week. Um, That movie would have really put me over the edge. Any thought of it, really. uh, And ultimately, watching it did. But I appreciate the last few weeks that you gave me. Uh, In the meantime, we do have two new reviews that I'm going to read. The first from Longtime Speller, who says, it's a podcast. Please, 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 don't let me stop you from talking about GVK. That's what the... (laughs) the street name for Godzilla vs. Kong, we are talking about talking about GVK. At this point, it seems inevitable. What I wouldn't mind putting a stop to is the interruptions and overlapping voices. Yes, I know it has a certain energy and Altmanian charm. Side note, I, on my vacation this week, watched California Split, which is now on the Criterion channel and... Goes hard on that Altmanian charm. But I don't like missing out on hearing what each of you, all qualified voices in all things movies and TV, has to say. I know there's some editing and post in the show, music bumpers and whatnot, (laughs) but I do think that a little additional interruption trimming would help the whole thing go down easier. Thanks. K-U-T-G-W, which I'm interpreting to mean, keep up the good work. Aren't acronyms amazing? How our brains just like, I've never seen that acronym before and- Sort of instantly. Uh, and
1: somehow you followed it, it anyway.
0: That review made me want to make the Alt Maniacs, which is the Animaniacs, <laughs> but they're just talking over each other. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that, yeah. seems a,
1: uh, that seems a little stressful even even though Animaniacs was a little stressful. But it's always interesting watching
2: think- as someone who always likes to watch things with subtitles on, watching 70s Altman with subtitles on, whether or not it's more or less stressful slash distracting as the captions are trying to keep up with all of the overlapping dialogue. But you also want to hear... Anyway, it's really... It's a double bind, kind of like uh, me wanting to talk about the thing that we were threatened to talk about if you don't leave us reviews, which I also want you to do. It's like that. Anyway, uh, Nick from Wisconsin says, Kong bows to no one. Rude. Hello, hosts of Fighting in the War Room. (laughs) Hoping this review is read right on the episode that you cover Godzilla vs. Kong, which is the uh, stiff upper lip name for Godzilla vs. Kong. And can't wait to hear Dave Seven finally get to talk about it. Although it's different than the segment promised if no one reviews if no reviews came in. And David to come back from vacation and be forced to interact with a film that can't be further from Gareth Edwards' post-human film which he liked. Oh boy, Nick from Wisconsin. You were right on the money with that one. I thought it would have been wild for him to be on last week's episode where the rest of you hosts got some chuckles out of searching provocative Looney Tunes artwork online. (laughs) Finally, (laughs) it was a delightful episode. I listened to it with uh, my wife and son as we drove around upstate New York. We had a good laugh. Finally, when discussing another round and director Thomas Vinterberg's best director nomination, I can't believe Katie couldn't remember Bennett Miller. When it came to directors nominated without their film getting a Best Picture nomination. Uh, Shame. Dragger. Foxcatcher was her favorite film of 2014. (laughs) Never forget.
1: I I forgot. I can't believe. This uh, reviewer
2: has heated the call. (laughs) Keep up the great work. Your podcasting camaraderie is always a delight to listen to in the back half of the week. I think it's because it's when we typically put out the episodes. Yeah. But yes. In the front yes. half of the week, is just too be much to handle. To <laughs> uh, thank you. Both these reviews, very helpful, at least for me, uh, and hopefully for our show on iTunes rankings. Please, if you are listening to this, you'd like to have your words, whatever they may be, read on the air, go on iTunes, go on Fighting in the War Room, leave us a review. Really appreciate it. You're doing your part to prevent us from talking about Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes, the iPhone game that, of all people on this podcast, I I'm most addicted to Dave also plays. Can't wait to really dig into what the Mandalorian Besker armor really means for my new Mandalorian set, but we'll get there. We have or a whole not. Bad Batch coming in the yeah. next
0: couple of months, David. There's like... so much to talk about.
3: David will definitely watch the show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he has to if he's going to know the synergies. That's
1: true. Leave a the review. Bad Batch tag and the anymore. clone tag. It's all different. Leave a review. I can't, I can't, I can't handle any more. <laughs> yeah.
0: Guys, it's we're still in a pandemic. Uh, vaccines, they're getting out there. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they're uh, easy to get a hold of necessarily for everybody. And uh, for instance, me, who's very low risk, I have to sign on a, to a website every day to see if I get an appointment. We're all getting there. We're slowly getting to the end of the pandemic. Godzilla vs. Kong, for instance, is making hundreds of millions of dollars in theaters apparently worldwide. So there's signs on the horizon, but We're still all being responsible, we're still indoors, we're still making use of our time and everybody's work, I guess, is going to slowly transition in different ways because we all have crazy jobs. It's time for another pandemic check-in. What's been keeping you sane since the last time we talked? I'm going to start this week with a newly unfrazzled David Ehrlich who got (laughs) to take some vacation time, pull his head together.
1: He'll never be uh, frazzled again. Exactly.
0: Uh, what's, what's been keeping
2: you uh, on this side of sanity, David? Yeah, From, from 9 a.m. to 9.07 a.m. this morning, I was really flying high, and then, uh, and then everything fell apart, and it was like I never left. Well, the reason that we decided to have another pandemic check-in was to pull you behind the curtain for a second, uh, specifically because I wanted to talk about what a bomb, B-A-L-M, reality television has been for me over the last 13 months. Not that I did not partake from time to time before, not that I was not already fully on board the below deck sailing crew, but uh, over this last week on vacation, of all things, it really crystallized how much I have turned to reality TV as a life raft uh, from the moment the pandemic started and I was watching Love is Blind and Too Hot to Handle on uh, Netflix. I'm sure we talked about that. We definitely talked about my ensuing addiction to Terrace House, um, problematic as it may be. Um, and uh, the show, anyway. But the, uh, and then, you know, I continue every Monday night without fail from the moment this pandemic started. There's been a new episode of Below Deck. Uh, and it's been invaluable. I've recently gotten into Summer House. Check your tone, bro. Hashtag Loverboy Life. I hear it's a Wait, it Below like this. Deck
1: Summer House or no, just the generic no. no. Summer, Bravo, Summer, Summer-,
2: House, Summer House is a different show. Unrelated okay, to yeah. Below Deck. Also, that's on the Brado. one with
1: like people from Southern Charm on it, right?
2: No. Um, well, I, some I them are
1: on. I know that they're doing a winter house with some of the Southern Charm people because my uh, my brother who lives in Vermont has seen them.
2: I I sort of came into the summer house midstream, uh, like season three of of five that they're currently on. I don't know if there was any cross pollination before that with other. Shows, But no, this is just a group of friends who would always go out to the, the Hamptons in this house that they rent and have all sorts of drama every weekend over the summer. And now, as we also seen on the blow Deck's most recent season of Sailing Yacht, uh, now that they can't leave the house because of the pandemic could are just cooped up there all summer long, lest they have to re-quarantine. It's all that much more of a hothouse. Makes for great TV. Um, but uh, And then this week when I was on vacation, the house where I was staying had like fake Cable, it had Pluto TV masquerading as cable. So it's all internet TV. None of it is streaming Hell live. Hell yeah. All, they're, all oh. like, they're all like fake channels that are that, – like, theory. not theory you call the Price so is Right channel a fake channel.
3: But How like the,
2: in theory, it, it was cool. They have all these channels that are devoted to particular shows. If you want to watch 24-7 of Nick Cannon's Wild and Out, you know, Godspeed. But the house where we were saying the selection of channels that they had were, were not great. But one of them – was like old MTV reality shows and so I watched um, the entire first season of The Real World that was you know set in New York, the in original New York, season. Wow. Uh, which of course uh, fed He's me into a watching right now, the right I I watched also the first couple episodes of the um, reunion show, which is a really interesting concept. At first I was really confused as to why they would choose a bunch of 50-year-olds to reboot the real world um, for the streaming era, uh, not realizing that the real world had actually continued on Facebook Watch for the last couple of years um, in seasons that I assume no one really watched. I think like the Las Vegas one where things were really, really horny was the last one that I – I mean things got like – I just remember that season being like hormonal overdrive and the show kind of collapsed under the weight of its own – um Wait, the one escapades. from
1: like when we were in college or like
2: – Yeah, with Trishel. Like, yeah. Uh, like that was yeah. so long ago. The show has gone on for so
1: long since then.
2: I know. I'm just saying that's when I kind of was like, all right, like other reality TV sort of lapped it. But um, it felt like I had sort of come full circle on the reality TV of it all watching that original season, The Real World, which is really fascinating and it's, you know, especially interesting – and I'm sure this was part of the thinking of bringing it back on Paramount Plus. How so many of the conversations they're having now—not that they were new then, and not that they've ever out of style, or, or you know, have not been relevant—but. Um, the the cyclical nature of the way that people come to these things. I mean, the, the way they talk about race in that first season in class. And um, it's obviously in a slightly different tenure. In some respects, Kevin has been, you know, on on this uh, score for a very long time. Um, I'm sure all of you know exactly what I'm referring to when I say Kevin. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, because everyone just watched the real world season one uh, with me. But um, yeah, no, it's uh, so reality TV has been a real a real escape hatch for me. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, there, there is value to it. I don't really have any much, anything more to say <laughs> on the subject than that. Other I than, like real people. Um,
1: I will say that, uh, during the saga wars, they did their whole, like, I am an actor thing. And Daisy Ridley says she watches blow duck.
3: I saw that. I
2: mean, below deck is is truly a masterpiece. Um, I think. I mean, you've you been know,
1: on below deck for so oh, long. Yeah.
2: I mean, I will never actually be on below deck because I personally That's cannot right. afford to spend a hundred plus thousand dollars for three days. It always boggles my mind how short these charters are, um, especially for the amount of money paid to go on them. Uh, but. I mean, that, that is a truly great show. That I need a Pluto television channel devoted to or fake television channel devoted to. I would absolutely <laughs> watch it. Never leave my house. It's funny they're simulating the cable experience because that is so instrumental to getting people hooked on on surfing around. Um, but uh, yeah, and I think like obviously there, there are obvious appeals to reality TV in a time when we're all cooped up at home and watching people even in pandemic scenarios out there living their life in some capacity. Um, but it really... Uh, it's hit that sweet spot for? I have uh,
3: for also been watching. watching reality TV for comfort. The last few what have you weeks. been watching? I've been watching Q Into the Storm. That's not reality yeah. TV. That's <laughs> I mean, it's reality. very real. It's like <laughs> it's happening in the world. Uh, oh I don't know. boy! You've I been, been watching, been watching a Ken
1: Burns' Civil War. Is your reality TV for <laughs> watching too? Reality, hey, it television. really
3: happened. Uh, I do. I do want to recommend this Q documentary, which I was super skeptical of watching. I didn't. I don't know why I would need to watch a, a documentary about Q, but you're like the you're the second it. person to
0: say that, that you know that people should. Watch it's a it. surprise
3: because it's really entertaining um, and also <laughs> really shocking and harrowing and you know disturbing about how you know we've talked at length. On this podcast about the Pepe the Frog documentary, *Violets this Good Man* from last year, this is kind of scratching a similar itch for me, where it's like really confrontational about how the internet works. How does four chan lead to eight chan? How do? Who are the people who make this? The people happen to be like really weird characters and kind of funny, and some of them are nice and and good people, um, and some of them seem horrible and introverted. And did to it the end point this week? Of, did it do its corrupted. final episode? Yes. It did, it did. And it had some bombshells for people to discover. Well, they uh, a come lot, to lot of the... news outlets are, are reporting on it, even though the ending is also like being disputed by those people. And well, patches, let blurrier. me ask you this.
2: Yeah. Let me ask you this, because you know, none of the, the so-called bombshells in the last episode of this series felt that way to me, because all of the same accusations, suspicions, have and conclusions... Had, 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 well, yeah, and... Uh, by, you know, Reply All has been ill-fated, but the one of their one of their best episodes was a deep dive into Q, and they arrived at very similar conclusions as this HBO show does. I mean, does that add credence I, to it? Do you think if they both – these both independent investigations that obviously had the same witnesses, the same characters, but they I mean, arrived at yes, the same place?
3: But I think what this documentary does I, – I did not listen to the Reply All episodes on Q, to be fair – um, so this is my first time seeing it kind of laid out beyond just reporting and, and laid out as this kind of character odyssey. Who are these people? How did they wind up here? How did the internet bend to their will? And what are their quirks and personality types? These two, this father and son Duo, uh, Ron, Watkins, Jim Watkins and Ron Watkins, Jim Watkins being a former king of porn, had an amazing story in the documentary about how he started this gay porn website, uh, Poke a Man, um, that had the logo of Pokemon and Nintendo bought the URL. They now own the gay porn site oh. because they didn't want it to exist. Um, so yeah. he made a huge amount of money from Nintendo um, and moved to the Philippines and started all sorts of websites. And one of them was Eight Eventually. Um, And his son is just like a a numb shell of a human who does not talk to anyone and clearly has sex with an Evangelion sex doll in his room that appears in multiple shots. It's wonderful. Um, He seems disturbed, but also fascinating. Fascinating characters. Just all these guys living their lives. And some people who are caught in the orbit of 8chan seem like reasonable humans. They're still running this kind of quote-unquote free speech haven that is destroying social norms and ultimately evil, in my opinion. Um, But they also seem nice, and some of them are... They accidentally stumbled into this thing because they needed friends, and um, they could not make human connections, whether it was because of physical disabilities in some cases or or mental challenges they needed to overcome. So they turned to the Internet to make friends, and it's gone horribly, horribly wrong um, in so many ways. And the cue of it all... Uh, you know, there's a lot of people interviewed in the documentary who are hardcore Q believers, and again, some of them seem kind of normal. Some of them are people who voted for Obama and then turned to Q and voted for Trump. Uh, and the and a lot of the people, uh, you, you're waiting for Sasha Baron Cohen to jump out half the time. I, the it's scene, how ludicrous the documentary! The scene
2: be. in the last episode, and I'm afraid this won't mean all that much to people who didn't watch the show. But where is, is what's Ron Watkins' dad's name? Jim, Jim Watkins. I keep wanting to say Peter Watkins, which uh, that is not. Uh, but where he is going to these Q rallies in person, and he's sort of a celebrity there because he is known to be the – the founder of 8chan or you know, deeply tied to He also to spends it.
3: the first two hours of the documentary going, I am not a political person. Right, right, I don't right, even right. know who, what the politics his, is.
2: In his pig farms and yes. uh, chain of restaurants, like health, whatever, like vitamin stores <laughs> that he runs in Manila. But um, but he goes to these, these like Q rallies and he's like so – He's so vexed and, <laughs> and perturbed by all the attention of I mean, these people who are talking to him as if they have this like deep intimate bond because they're in the fight together. And he, even though you know he does this this dance throughout all these years about how involved he is or is not in the whole Q phenomenon, he's like so clearly taken aback. Like, who the fuck are? I mean, these he people? is not like
3: these people who bow at no. the altar of Q at all, and it is a fascinating divide. And ultimately. I mean, it's, it's He's not maybe she like uh, below deck, but like this is an entertaining documentary. So I was I was surprised if it, there's any hesitation to like dunk your head under Q waters. Uh, I would still suggest people check this out because it's it's pretty watchable.
2: It does seem like it's going to be pure junk and. I think that's part of the appeal. I mean, it's like the, the snack appeal of all these characters and the cicada and all the shit is all the, the same thing that sucked people down the rabbit hole to believing you Q in the first place, the gamification of it. And so I think it stands to reason that the HBO show, even if it was produced independently and then sold to HBO, is going to have that sort of like junk food, uh, increasingly addictive quality. We're like, I cannot believe I'm actually devoting six hours of my life to this. But um, that's part of the hook. Katie, what have you been doing?
1: I watched a couple episodes of The Floor is Lava again. Ooh. Um,
2: (laughs) The same episodes?
1: uh, Good question. Well, Charlie likes it. So, like, while we were visiting his grandparents, I got him back onto The Floor is Lava, um, which it hadn't been on in a while. And I just... um, I like watching shows where people uh, crash into things. I like The Floor is Lava and the strategy that you get to participate in it. And I thought about this because Wipeout came on after the SAG Awards on TBS uh, on Sunday night. And Wipeout does this whole thing in the beginning where it shows you these, these like really quick bits. So it introduces the people, and then it shows them like falling down, and then it ends. And there's no sense of how this game works. So I appreciate The Floor, of, the floor is Lava's commitment to um, actually making a game out of it and letting you think about how you would uh, traverse this space that is The Floor is Lava. How was uh, and- Glenn
3: Close on Wipeout this year?
1: Oh, you know, I mean, she mom, and she was there mom. in co- in costume as Mima, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. um, which really every, uh, did not help her with that. such lo- a terminator. Neutral, of course. <laughs> I, I think
2: we've had this exact same exchange about uh, J.D. Vance tweeting on the podcast before, but oh boy. Oh boy. Li- literally every time J.D. Vance tweets, I just feel like Glenn Close's soul shriveling, like, like, Har- like Harry Potter's scar every time Voldemort does anything. You just a second ago tweeted about how Clarence Thomas is a national treasure. And it's like, yeah, Glenn Close probably isn't going to win the Oscar, but – this, this is how we hobby. get from
3: QAnon to Floor's Lava. That we can connect the dots. <laughs> I think
2: J.D. I Vance can tie JD. us into QAnon even faster <laughs> no, in fewer, in fewer degrees from Kevin Bacon.
1: I did not think we were going to have to talk about J.D. Vance. My <laughs> You're always going to have to talk
2: about J.D. Nobody, Vance. This is nobody the life chose, into this JD. conversation.
1: Does he get to go
2: to the Oscars? Think?
1: Uh, I no, the movie's not nominated. It's only Glenn Close. And also, like, no one's going to the Oscars. But if
2: Glenn Close won, she would have to thank J.D. Vance.
1: This is a great year for them to not have to bring J. D. Vance to the Oscars. It's true. Um, yeah, I got. I don't have much. I watched Godzilla vs. Kong, and then oh, and I oh, uh, I watched ten minutes of The Blacklist with my in-laws, as I mentioned to you guys. And I was like, this seems soothing. Should I watch The Blacklist?
2: Wow. Nice. How many I don't seasons? Know. That's like Wait, Katie, can you elaborate 100. on that? What? It's just did, like. Did you watch it? I'm assuming they're on like season ten right now. And oh you were yeah, just no, I have I don't even know what was
1: happening. Like, I, I didn't. Like, I wasn't really even trying to follow the plot. I was watching it and being like, "Wow!" Like the photography, the acting, everything about it is like, "Oh, this is a serial that is not going to challenge my attention too much. I can like come in and out of it. Like this is nothing new. This is what people watch network TV for. But I don't really watch anything on network TV at this was point. Is James like, we-
3: wearing a hat?
1: Yes, and then no. Like, he took it off eventually. Um which, you I, just, know, I think there's
2: an intrinsic appeal to, and this goes back to the below deck thing, of knowing that there's more, that it's there for you in a way. I find myself a lot more mm. inclined to watch things. If, like, the hardest things for me to watch these days are the the first season of something that has yet to be greenlit for a second, or there's only two seasons. Like, I, I would love to sink into something like ER right now. Um you know, I've already seen the first nine seasons, so, of that, but you know what I mean. Yeah,
1: didn't you watch all of E.R.?
2: No, we watched the first nine seasons and, you know, the dip that we were warned about well in advance uh, and that, you know, the first nine seasons or eight – really, the first like seven seasons are so good that you're like, I how could that be? How could Not you show a drop in quality? Kid. And mm-hmm. then the dip hits so fast and so hard that Elisa and I just like weren't quite able so far to claw our way out of it. But maybe one day. We know it – you know, we're told that it gets – a little bit better again towards the end, but I'll try.
1: Uh, yeah. No, the idea of just like having something, I don't know. I like, I'm sure I talk about this on the show. Like I just watch everything in terms of quantifying, like how can I watch this for work? How can I be productive with this time? And like watching something that is not being productive with my time is like a real pleasure that I don't have very often. Um, and I need to work on just making that possible for myself because it's just television. It shouldn't be hard to watch television. I can figure this out.
0: Yeah, Deep. I've been sticking to my YouTube. So, like, What's on YouTube? Well, really? you guys have asked me, uh, you know, in the middle of writing a book slash watching Search Party slash at the tail end of Lost Season 5, beginning of Lost Season 6. It's a very complicated time in my life. But something that I, like, maybe once a month almost send to, like, the Fighting in the War Room G chat or, like, message somebody... Uh, While I'm watching it is every Saturday on a uh, channel called uh, Corridor Digital, uh, three usually three visual effects guys, but sometimes two visual effects guys and a stunt person uh, will sit down and watch clips from movies and break down how they think they're done, either with visual effects uh, or with stunts. And uh, they tried briefly also with like animators react, uh, but usually it's like uh, visual effects artists react or stuntmen react. If you search for those, I'm sure you'll find the many playlists. They've been doing it for I think a couple of years, uh, but I caught on with like episode two and was like, "This is extremely my jam." Talking about like what Blender software can and cannot pull off through the ages, uh, like going through the AE tuts and all that. If that makes sense to you, what I just said, then I think this show will be up your alley. Also, if you're just kind of curious about stuff, uh, they do some very specific ones like, you know, react to Marvel stunts or react to Lord of the Rings stunts, like maybe going with something you think you know. I think uh, it's a very educational slash entertaining YouTube show, but I found myself mostly just hooking into YouTube shows like that or girlfriend reviews. I mentioned previously watching people's uh, stream Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes, but I can't talk about it anymore because we got reviews this week. So like, just like those small little hits of content uh, that are still coming to me through YouTube, which I subscribed to as a service way back when they had TV shows that had hired my friends, and now I've just kind of learned to live with it.
3: You subscribe to YouTube. You get the no ad yeah. YouTube. Yep,
0: no ad, stream yeah. in the background, multiple wow. devices pretty good it's it could almost replace like something like spotify if youtube was a little bit better about uh labeling its licensed and unlicensed material but it wasn't about youtube it's about crazy things we were watching and that's been pandemic check-in
2: So the flip side of the reality TV coin is that uh, my, my attention, uh, which has always been something that I've struggled with, has is, is really been pretty weak. Um, and books have been a real victim of that. Uh, you know, there's also the having a kid of it all. Which doesn't help, especially because the kid that I happen to have loves almost nothing more than uh, taking any book that I'm reading and ripping the dust cover off and throwing it somewhere as hard as he can and then smacking the you – know, whatever. Children are a menace. I don't know why we have them. But uh, the anyway, um, I have tried and failed to read so many books of this pandemic. Um, and finally, a breakthrough. Uh, I – Tweet- I was in a bookstore, is was in my, my local Greenlight bookstore here in Brooklyn before my vacation. And I, in uh, what I think is one of the pure uses of Twitter, tweeted into the bookstore, like, someone helped me pick a book right now. A newish book that I can grab off the shelf right in front of me. And uh, I got a lot of really wonderful recommendations. But the one that I kept coming back to from people that I trusted was The Vanishing Half by Brit Bennett. Oh, my uh, God,
1: David, that's the book that I read. Did really? I read it because you read it?
2: Well, I've I have read saw uh, your
1: tweets, and wow. but I had I had checked it out from the library a bunch of times, and I finally got it checked back out again, and I finished it yesterday. Hey,
3: now we have a focused mini. segment Hey, yeah, <laughs> well, fam- it's not just about <laughs> books; Thank it's Christ. about the vanishing head. Well, okay, we're Katie, just going to talk I, about this book in the
2: mini segment. Great, Katie. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, hand it over to you in a second, then, because I'm only 120 pages into it, but ah. uh, that has been far enough to say with some confidence that this is going to be. Uh, the book that breaks the curse and that I'm actually going to finish. Yeah, you can do it. I I bailed on some things that uh, I would be ashamed to admit uh, here um, that I just really didn't have the patience for. Um, But The Vanishing Half, which is a story about two light-skinned black girls, twins, in a town where essentially over hundreds of years, a hundred and, you know, not maybe, let's too long, given the history. Over, it's, it's, time. But over, over time. time. Over time. Over several generations has really um, bred themselves lighter and lighter deliberately um, and looked askance at, at darker skin colors. And uh, this is sort of what this town is known for. It's an outlier in, I believe the town is in... Um, Louisiana. Uh, Louisiana, thank you. And uh, there are these two twins and they disappear at the start of the novel. But it is not a mystery as to what happened to them, uh, even though people... Uh, are prone to think of it as such. Um, we know from the narration that the girls were simply running away that they one of them uh, is a little bit more rash and impulsive and artsy. And the other is more studied and quiet and composed. Um, but together, you know they one pushing, the other pulling, they run away and their lives sort of fragment from there with one of them eventually moving west to pass as white and marry a white man. Um, and the other has a child with a very dark-skinned black man, and their child ends up being uh, as, you know, as dark as he is, and she brings him back to uh, her hometown, and there's a lot of uh, animus there. Um, and the, the story, at least where I'm at it already, is already switching perspectives, and a lot of characters are introduced um, that you suddenly adopt their perspective. Uh, and, you know, the writing is just so crystalline and poignant. It reminds me a lot... Not in subject matter necessarily, but just in terms of the uh, the detail and the density and how evocative it is of the sentences of someone like Jennifer Egan uh, wrote um, a "Visit from the Goon Squad," Manhattan Beach. Um, there's just that kind of potency to to the sentences, uh, and it, it's I obviously can't speak to the full thrust of the story in the way that Katie can when I turn the mic to her in a sec. But uh, it's really just been um, a really enthralling read so far and that and the mike nichols book by mark harris have been really all i've been able to make headway in and i can't wait to read the rest katie give me a vague hint as to what i'm getting into
1: yeah i really want to read the mike nichols book too also um but no i like i finished is one of those books and a book that happens to me a lot where i'll start reading something and i'll be like all right i'm reading a book I'm going to try to make myself do this because books are things that grown-up people read. And then eventually I hit a point where I'm flying through it. And this one I had on my Kindle app on my phone, and I couldn't get it on my actual Kindle, which was really annoying. Except then... I had it available to me any time that, like, my kids were doing something else that didn't require my attention where I could read five pages, which is such, like, for me, such a great way to read a book where you just, like, steal a couple of seconds in the world of this. Um, and before we started this, I was looking up to confirm that it's being adapted as a uh, limited series for HBO, which to uh, me at this point is, like, the way that you should adapt a novel.
2: You know because what fucked up is that, like, if I had known that, I probably wouldn't have bought it.
1: Wow. See, your snobbery uh, has it's been not, overcome. It's not
2: snobbery. It, this is something you should be able to relate to. It's just that we, as parents, and I only have one of these things, uh, have so little time. Like, every every unit of time, there's so much weight behind it to, to yeah, what you choose yeah, to do with it. Yeah, That's what and I was talking about before. I know that if I can digest the story in another form, um, then I may as well wait for it. And now, of course, I that – That's crazy talk. Maybe yeah, it is. Th- I, no.
1: Well, and what I, I was going to say—I certainly but- don't
2: regret reading the book so far. I'm happy with this decision. I'm just saying, unfortunately, for better or worse, maybe You're for worse, talking like a
3: Marvel fan. I wouldn't DC have bought fan. it. like Ooh. I must consume plot. I must know all things. Yeah. No,
2: I'm. I'm uh, I, I I can see how that I would have come off that way, and it's a sad reality of being a parent and not having a lot of time on my hands. But it is what it is.
3: Oh, tell me, but, tell like- me about what is it like to be a parent?
1: The thing that I was thinking as I was reading the book is what David was saying about how it switches perspectives, how you meet a character and then two paragraphs later it jumps into that person's point of view. And it does that so seamlessly over and over again. And it kind of like forces you to empathize with people and see things through people's point of view that like I think novels are equipped to do in a way that movies are definitely not. To like jump perspectives, it's really hard to do that. Limited series can, to some extent. But not that I, like, you know, Jeremy O'Harris is one of the people who's working on the HBO series. Like, Issa Race production company is behind it. It's got really huge talent behind it. But it made me just grateful to read books and to get inside someone's head and to have so much access to somebody and david when you finish it we can talk about like whether or not the you know the way that like characters will like be in it and then like disappear for 300 pages like how that can work in a limited series format like how a story yeah. like that could be adapted
2: well and um, two patches of point you know i'm sure that the hbo show especially with that pedigree behind it will will be good um at least one could hope but i i wouldn't know how much i was missing just from the the Beauty of the the writing and how evocative yeah. it is. I mean, I I certainly don't regret having uh, read through it all the same.
1: Yeah, I mean, books just have a power over me in a way that almost nothing else does. Where I think about the world it was and the people in it so long after I finished it. And like I finished this book yesterday, and I've like spent this drive that I was doing today, like thinking about Stella. You know, there is and a it's really a cinematic
2: uh, quality to it. Though. Like the, the conversation that comes to mind is the one uh, where Desiree comes. Desiree's her name, right?
1: Desiree and say.
2: Stella are the twins, yeah. yeah. Uh, when Desiree comes back to her town and she meets early at the bar and it's like something out of a noir film um, and you know, he has not yet revealed to her what he's doing back in her life um, and that he's been hired by her husband to track her down and eventually has a change of heart about that. But there is something so noir-ish about that, so inherently cinematic that it is easy to see the appeal of adapting it beyond it just being great source material. Um, but uh, it's, it's also worth reading The Vanishing Half.
1: Read The Vanishing Half. I mean it's a, it's a book that like it seems like everyone in the world has read. And if you are if you are inclined to be snobby and think that if something – I don't know if it was in Reese's Book Club but it has that vibe about it. Well,
2: it's the um, sticker. It's I thought it was a sticker. It's actually not a sticker at all. It is part of the book jacket itself. Uh, it says it's a GMA book club pick. Good morning, uh, America, the bastion of literary taste in this country. <laughs> Unassailable. All well, I want to say is, don't let, is don't let that stop you. Don't let that stop you. But how can you read something on a Kindle little on your phone? I had to read Antkind on my on my iPad. And you it, know it what it's great
1: for? It's when you are sitting around and you're going to pick up your phone and open fucking Twitter,
2: you read yeah. a book instead. I wish I had that kind of discipline. This is why I like playing games on my phone even. Well, anyway, a whole different conversation, but it's like, I, is, it's like, I, I, there are other things I need to be doing on my phone. Anyway, Vanishing Half, great book. Reading. Read it's a not book. Just for kids.
1: Everyone should read a
3: book. If everybody who listens to this podcast reads eight books in the next month, go to your local Pizza Hut and get a pizza. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Bum, 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 bum.
0: So, ah! we let David go on vacation, and he watched some reality TV, and we came back, and he's like, let's talk about reality TV. We're like, great, David. And he's David read part of a book, and he's like, let's talk about a book. And we're like, absolutely, David. <laughs> sure, so David's now close. it's time to talk about Godzilla vs. Kong, which Hell yeah. um, broke David Ehrlich. Based on Erlich. a novel, <laughs> by, <laughs> uh, According to Twitter, broke David Ehrlich, and his promises earlier on this podcast, <clears throat> But instead, for those of you who uh, haven't been waiting for this week, as if it was some sort of cut by some director named Zack, it's the fourth movie in Legendary's MonsterVerse—the one they've been building to. They made a Godzilla movie with Gareth Edwards directing. It did pretty well. They decided to make. They a called se- their
3: shot. You got to admit. They did. It.
0: Well, they called their shot because. Uh, Toho in July gets You're the like, rights back. You only have this many years exactly. to make
3: these movies. <laughs> Toho
0: gets the Did rights back. they get
1: back. the rights back? Ju- they won't oh, be able to make yeah, more this of these the after
3: July? The yeah, this is the end of the verse. There are no more movies after this.
1: Wow. Because Toho's
3: like, uh, we're taking Godzilla back. So unless Kong is a huge franchise.
1: What does Toho plan to do? Do we know? Yeah, they they want to make, they wanna, Godzilla like, they make a
0: Godzilla monster verse of their own. Uh, rebooting yes. the Shin Godzilla-verse into a Film where it's like Rodan will have some movies, Mothra will have some movies, Godzilla will have some movies, and then they'll have the the smash-up movies.
1: So they just don't want to share with Warner Brothers? Is that the deal? Yes.
2: No, the legendary licensed it, and they lost it now. As I hope listeners of our show know by now, Shin Godzilla fucking rules. Masterpiece. And this all sounds like a great development as far as I'm (laughs) concerned
3: Well, I don't think the future Japanese Godzilla movies will be going in the Shin Godzilla direction.
2: I can't wait for the Ultraman movie that was just delayed. The Shin Ultraman, yeah, Shin Ultraman. Just put Shin before anything. It's gonna. Kind of I mean,
0: they might still do Shin that burn. for like marketing purposes, but I don't think we're going to see the <laughs> Shin Godzilla monster. Not important because what is important is this is the fourth movie in the MonsterVerse after Godzilla, Kong Skull Island, Godzilla King of the Monsters, and now Adam Wingard's Godzilla vs. Kong. It is uh, under two hours, unlike King of the Monsters. Uh, but uh, it does feature two different monsters, uh, like King of the Monsters. So
3: Could be argued that it features three. Three. Could be argued that it features
0: four. I mean, and there are, of course, Adam Wingard the, hollow, the, fourth monster? the Hollow Earth monsters. The real
3: monster was us. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, of course, the Hollow Earth monsters, which might just be creatures. Uh, so I, I guess as a way of entering talking about this movie... Uh, it's real dumb, but I think in like uh, a very about, tolerable Dave? way. Oh, they need to get Kong to the Hollow Earth to find a energy source that they could use to power <laughs> Mechagodzilla, and Godzilla's uh-huh. running around yes. trying yes. to stop them from building Mechagodzilla because he senses yes. they've used the skulls of King Ghidorah from which they have Godzilla King of the Monsters, and he Spoiler. knows it's going to go bad, and it does go bad. And really, if everybody would have just listened to Godzilla, things would have been fine. But
1: wait, don't uh, hang on. Is Rebecca Hall trying to? Aren't they trying to get Kong to excuse Hollow me, Earth for me, a totally Katie, different reason? The
3: Kong oh, Whisperer, please. Yeah, excuse well, me. They want to bring Kong to Hollow Earth to get him away from everything, because he can't stay in his holodeck yeah. anymore. Yeah.
1: So they, they're they not trying to get in there. So wait, are they? is the bad guy secretly making them do that? I missed that part. Yeah,
0: so the bad guy goes yes. to uh, uh, Skarsgård and is like, we need the energy source in the Hollow Earth. And Skarsgård's Which is not like a
3: place in uh, the Thor universe. It's a person. Yeah, and Scar- mm-hmm. Skarsgård's
0: like, well, we could only, uh, you know, a Titan could maybe lead us there. And like, who do I know that knows a Titan? And he knows Rebecca Hall's character.
1: <laughs> oh, right, that happens in the very yeah, beginning. Yeah, so he
0: goes happened. to her, and he's like, "Can we get Cog to lead us to the Hollow Earth?" And she's like, "It's hard right. to remember." Cog doesn't most do of the human.
3: Yeah, this is lo- most of the human dialogue in this movie is. <laughs>
0: so,
1: <laughs> so he's originally in it for bad reasons, but then we like him. Yeah, yeah. Scar, Scar. No,
3: no, he's in it for good reasons. He's just, he's been bought by the bad guys. Yeah. So the bad guys he want him doesn't to know there,
1: there. Yeah, He doesn't yeah. know he's He doesn't realize, the because they're the all surprised
3: guy. when they get down there that the bad guy's daughter, who is just for some reason on the trip, too, is like, I'm going to steal <laughs> the energy source. And it's like, okay, who
2: cares? Yeah, they, are, they are giving out tickets to this deep dive into the monster-filled center of the earth like they're fucking candy and there's like a nine-year-old girl who yeah, gets a ticket.
1: I definitely <laughs> had like, a thought at some point, like I don't want to judge people's parenting choices, but bringing a child on this journey to Hollow Earth where they're like, what's going to happen when we get Vader down there? Down we don't there. know. Yeah, I understand
2: that she has a connection to Kong and she can speak ASL. Um, but They believe that there's the, not even uh, like a line of dialogue. The Looney like, Tunes are, are down are sure there and they safe? need to
3: recruit them. It's going to be a big space jam down there. And
2: all <laughs> as a parent, I had concerns but I also believe in not judging uh, other mm-hmm. parenting skills. Mm-hmm. If you want to Maybe. send your daughter to the middle of the earth to do battle with Becca Godzilla, that is your choice.
0: Yep. So uh, the good thing about us not talking about uh, Godzilla versus Kong before now, I think, is that if you would have asked me to predict what was going to happen in the movie, I would have gotten a lot of the plot points correct. But then a lot of my assumptions that I would have made, like Kong has to build an axe... I was assuming the movie was too smart. <laughs> Kong just finds the axe. And not only, hey, not only does he find the axe. Is this anyone's axe? Now, <laughs> not only does he find the axe that looks like it's been like made. And some sort of ancient axe made out of like bone and a Godzilla spike. But it's been made specifically in the shape to the key to unlock the Godzilla Ouroboros That's right. that is the power source. So none of it makes it's a sense. a dongle. Yeah. <laughs> none, of, none of it makes sense. Uh, but... I have seen this movie now at this point three times. Uh, Why?
2: Why? Dave, why? Thank you, Dave. No, Dave is (laughs) on the right side of this.
0: The the first time I watched it because it was the day it came out, and I'm like, here we fucking go, Godzilla vs. Kong uh laughed to myself the whole way through watched it as intended on an ipad pro with earpods in like great um Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. because i didn't want to like pollute the entire house in the middle of the afternoon with godzilla versus kong you know it was my own personal experience i saved that for uh saturday when i simultaneously watched it with a whole bunch of my friends we all were on the same zoom call watching godzilla versus kong and then Java watched Godzilla versus Kong on our like TV that's like right here. You can't see me gesturing, but imagine on the podcast <laughs> we're all in the same room. So I passively watched it like a third time. And each time it's like if you just kind of know when to duck in, I think it's it's really fun. There was a time when we got off sync uh, uh during our Zoom call and one of our friends is like, Oh yeah, just tell us what happened, um, and you know, we'll catch up with you guys. And we're all like, No, you need to watch this 90 seconds because it's like Kong finds some floating rocks and then he pushes one and then he jumps and then gravity inverts. and It turns out the rock he was facing was like a hand, like a Da Vinci hand. And my friend's like, what the fuck? We're like, just, just watch it. And so we all sat silently. You a Michelangelo hand? Yeah, Michelangelo hand. Thank you. We were all silently uh, watching him and his wife watch it over Zoom. And at the end, he's like, I understand why I needed to see that for myself. There are <laughs> there are moments like that in Godzilla vs. Kong. There's like a weird moment where it suddenly becomes 2001 for like five, 30 seconds. Um, there's just a lot of absolute cinematic silliness in this movie. And I don't mm-hmm. think, unlike a lot of Godzilla movies, which all deal with the same thing ever since they came out, which is how do you balance what we really want to see, which is monsters versus what you need to make a movie. Which is some sort of story that has humans at the center of it. It's not as good as that navigating that balance as like Gareth Edwards is, but I've seen this go a lot worse in like Godzilla King of the Monsters slash.
3: Come on, Dave, don't give it faint praise. This is a good oh, time. This uh, is a blast. No, I I a blast.
2: Myself, Had a great I told myself. I told myself. Oh my God, you guys. I this told is myself. A real I was fun time. Be super chill. This episode, you know, David, I just think let me put everyone context. needs to turn I, I, down the dial. And I want you to know something:
3: General Kong Skull Island, not a good movie. There's a lot of people who like it, actually. I'm not. I, I'm not down with that. I, I it, never saw is, it. it is
2: a truly Godzilla
3: film. King of the Monsters, a piece of shit. Holy Agreed, God, 100%. damn! Terrible time at the movies. Just full of darkness and murkiness, and so boring. The more monsters, the worse. But this movie. It's a fucking great time. It's a big cartoon. I was shocked. Maybe because I'm, I'm currently... It's the ride of the pandemic. It is the, it is the thrill ride of the pandemic. Oh, yeah, um, that's maybe that's it's good, because yeah. I'm, I've am i been mainlining a bit more anime in my spare time to try and oh, catch up with what now. the kids are, we like, are watching. You're like, oh yes, been, the
0: HVAC. I understand what's going on here.
3: <laughs> yes. Well, actually, the HVAC... The, or, are you heave? talking about the heave? Sorry, heave. You know, Yes, the HVAC is what funnels cold air into my yes, house. Yes, yes, yes. Is, right. is, as a, as a, a homeowner,
1: uh, you know these things. <laughs> yeah.
3: Um, no, my my point about the anime stuff was like, I'm trying to go back. I'm trying to watch a little bit more. I'm like marathoning Jujutsu Kaisen right now. Totally unrelated to the, the battles of uh, Godzilla versus Kong. But it is getting me in the sensibility of like watching adult animation. And adult animation is kind of a stupid term because – hey, animation that's directed at kids could be great for adults and adults and younger people could watch whatever. The point is, I I think that why Godzilla vs. Kong works so well and why I enjoyed it so much is because it really feels like an animated animated movie first. Um, it really feels like they're taking the animation seriously. They're taking the characters, the animated characters, seriously. And the battles are, are choreographed. They're considered. I think there's great filmmaking in these big <clears throat> titanic moments, more so than any of these other MonsterVerse movies. Except, I mean, I as you know, David, I also love Gareth Edwards' Godzilla 2014. Totally different kind of movie, and I enjoyed it for different reasons. It's painterly, whereas this one is bombat truly bombastic. Like, it's the good kind of of Saturday morning cartoon, $150 million Uh, blockbuster
2: entertainment. I appreciate that you... Like them both, and, and you know, despite their differences, and it is, as you say, a markedly different kind of movie. Um, and I think it, it certainly didn't help in my mind, as is often the case when Hollywood swindles me into loving one of their blockbusters. You know, every once and so often, there is a truly graceful Hollywood blockbuster: there's the 2014 Godzilla, there's Fury Road, there's The Last Jedi. Uh, and I always pay the price for what comes next, maybe it, with the exception being. Fury Road, because we have yet to see that sequel and I have high hopes, but, um, you know, The Rise of Skywalker and The King of All Monsters and Skull Island and now this. Uh, yes, this is a very different kind of movie. Um, I will say I will always have fond memories. I remember just before I saw Godzilla driving down to Katie Rich's wedding with Dave. Hmm. And I think Mike and Kate Erbland had seen it and it was going to be the first movie I saw after her wedding. I remember those innocent times <laughs> and how rewarded wow. my, my hopes were. The Rangers were in the playoffs against the Penguins. They came I back and won seeing, that series. I remember
1: seeing the second Andrew Garfield Spider-Man right before my wedding. Uh, tough. <laughs> tough <for everybody. laughs> Not a good omen.
2: Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, and that, and that movie definitely spoke my language and it resonated with my feeling that, and there are definitely exceptions to this, uh, that in a monster movie, the monster should be on screen no more than 15 to 20% of the film's running time. Um, that is not a hard and fast rule, but generally as to my taste holds true, you get your Cloverfield, your 2014 Godzilla, even Shink. I mean, Shin Godzilla is on there a little bit, but they balance it out with focus on the bureaucracy of it all. Um, and the original Godzilla, of course. But, uh, I, I mean, obviously I was setting myself up for, uh, for disappointment with this one. Um, you know, it's been a running bit on this podcast. I was not particularly excited for it. Adam Wingard seemed like an interesting choice to make it, but I so hated the previous two movies in this loose shamble of the franchise that it was hard for me to be excited. This came me, I have like, I'm trying to be as undramatic as I can about this, but it really came below my expectations, which were pretty, pretty low. I mean, I found. Absolutely zero redeeming about this movie. I, I just found it completely soulless, a husk of computer-generated entertainment. I tweeted it very unpopularly. I might add, my um, like people are jumping you ship know. from my my Twitter feed like uh, Godzilla is cruising towards our fleet. But uh, that I I was just like what. What has happened to movies? And that wasn't because this is a movie about a nuclear dinosaur fighting a giant ape. Uh, there are movies about both those things that I happen to enjoy very much. Um, but it's just how this one comes together. It felt so crass and, and thoughtless. And the characters, I mean, feel... There's a like real... And I don't I don't want to put this on the intention of people who made it. I'm sure they. they were all... Doing their best, uh, but uh, it, it really feels cynical to me, and just like how uh, much of ciphers these characters are—the Millie Bobby Brown character, even Brian Tyree Henry, who's an actor I love, being the comedic relief—it all feels so canned, you know. And and I I understand that people are talking about how the the human characters here are only a means to an ends, but. I disagree with that on principle. I think there's a real standard lowering going on, not only in terms of the writing, but also what patches was talking about about the the direction of the the fight sequences. I really just don't see it. I don't need everything to be the majesty that we saw in Gareth Edwards take on this material. But um, I, you know, even compared to you know your new your new favorite hobby, anime patches. You think about the Evangelion like fights that a lot of these kaiju battles uh, remind me of. There, there's just no sense of of weight or danger. Or, and it's be, it, partially because there's no attachment to any of these characters. Um, I just yes, yeah, so you would you need know,
3: many episodes of something to do that.
2: Well, you don't because in the 2014 Godzilla, I mean, and that got a lot of flack. The for characters, the characters do They were real enough just because the movie invested that time for me to understand why they were where they were and for it to have some sort of we're gonna have to narrative to impetus. That I'm gonna say this as, as I feel like you're as
0: somebody that has watched all the Godzilla movies that trick works maybe twice in a century where you're like, these are boring characters, but you know what? We're going to focus on them. And then Godzilla is going to be like the cap to our thematic point. That's, that's a very specific type of monster story. like, the uh, the Showa Godzilla films had like three or four oh, before sorry. all of a sudden they're <laughs> sorry, like I just
2: heard you say the Showa Godzilla films, which took my mind to a very different place. <laughs> no. But I meant the Showa era mean. of
0: Godzilla films. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, the from like the fifties through the late seventies, like maybe got four films in before they were doing like aliens and you know Mecha Godzilla was in a Godzilla suit and like the apes like were fish aliens. Like it all went off the rail, but
2: there's something about the man in the suit of it that excuse i mean it's not just the kitsch of it it's the real it's of really handcrafted feeling and i think a large part of this is just my aversion to the computer generated quality of it all where it all i think that's right like i think that explains your take exactly um, i mean, I mean, I mean like the man in suit
3: stuff is not superior it's just, just because it is old and just because it is scrappy i i I don't buy that. Those movies are bad. But I think, a lot like, of the yeah, movies are bad.
2: A lot of those movies are definitely bad. Don't I don't disagree at all. But I think the limitation on them, the inability to just do anything, allows them to make choices that I find rewarding. And in something like this, where the sky is the limit, and you can go to the center of the earth, and you can have Godzilla... Katie, you know,
3: explain to David why having lots of choices is the best thing
2: that... Wait, before you know, before, before Katie does that, can I just read one thing really quickly? From I was just looking at the Wikipedia page. And just the the mismatch between the quotes that Adam Wingard has given and my experience watching the movie, I think, explain a lot. He says... And this is, you know, from an interview in 2017, so he's not beholden to this. But I really want you to take these characters seriously. I want you to be emotionally invested, not just in the human characters, but actually in the monsters. It's a massive monster brawl movie. Blah blah blah. Yeah, I mean, none of that comes through. It all feels like the characters there totally are
3: totally disagree. I f- I'm like rooting um, and then for Kong. Says, I'm, I'm watching says, Kong get beat up. I want him to rise up and, and maybe win.
2: maybe this changed along the way. But he says, I do want there to be a winner. The original film was very fun, but you feel a little let down that the movie doesn't take a definitive. There stance. is a winner. Yeah, Godzilla, wins. The winner? Godzilla. WB's accountants? Godzilla no, wins. Godzilla wins Godzilla No, Godzilla wins. He's the king of the Thank monsters. Godzilla he
0: wins. gets it he gets Kong to submit. The whole thing You're
2: Katie. He like
1: literally stands here. on King Kong's like chest. We have to and rise
2: up against David King and Kong. Kong is a dweeb and he sucks, and he no, changes Kong, shape a oh thousand my God. times in this movie. Kong stop! Godzilla rules. He's okay, like heart rules. Heart stop. Stop. David, let David Katie talk. did you
1: see the part of the movie where like it's sunset and they're out in the ocean and like it's very like well lit and you can see everything that's going on and um, Godzilla and King Kong fight like in the middle of the ocean? Did you see that part?
2: I did. Pocket it was pretty cool. It was very boring.
1: Was Awesome. It was My, lit like it was speaking of Michelangelo references, that's the second one in this movie. Yeah. So it looks like, like this Chapel. It and looks then, like, like Godzilla Sistine splits Chapel? a fucking Air Force uh aircraft carrier in half and then he jumps out of the ocean. Was it's so cool stuff. fun. It's
3: animation, and it's then like, they why fight again
1: like in Hong Kong, and it's all lit by neon, and it looks awesome. And then
2: uh, I didn't I w- like it in Pacific Rim, and I certainly didn't like. Well, it you have an aversion to three D yeah, CG
3: animation. Pacific End Rim story. was so. But you're mean, never going like, to like
1: this. I, I want to be clear. Like the parts with Di- Brian Tyree Henry and Bobby Brown. Like Brian Tyree Henry, great. The whole thing I could. I actually like what they're talking
2: about podcasting. Oh, my God. I yeah, feel Yeah, no, the parts of the are talking so about podcasting bad. are important. When you – but like you know the material is constrictive when someone as talented as Brian Tyree Henry is just dying out there. I oh, mean like come it's – like how? He's, how do you waste that much time? You know who's I good in this really movie? movie? Rebecca he's Hall. Julie, you know Julian who's good in Denison, this movie? Who's funny and everything is just you know, flub after flub, after flub. Who's funny and everything?
3: He's been in like three movies. What are you, ta- are you talking about? Deadpool Two? When you talk, when even you praise he Julian manages Denison? to
2: squeak out a few smiles for me in Deadpool Two. But it has a lifetime of goodwill from Hunt for the Wilder People. Yes, of course. He Ky- is. What is, Ky- does Kyle Chandler even know? He's in this movie. I no, because he's Kyle? barely in the movie. That's not. <laughs> yeah. a, like,
1: that's not a criticism. I mean. Yeah, Damien Bashir go. is a
2: nothing of a villain. Yeah, Damien Bashir. Yeah. Bashir is really funny. He's
1: really funny. Super duper fun. Alexander Where like Skarsgard Mega Godzilla is about to is, sneak up behind so him and rip his head. He's standing right
2: behind me, isn't he? Of a career.
1: I love
3: that <laughs> okay David let Katie go off on all the good things this movie just make a list Katie. I
1: don't Bring know it. I guess, like I, mean, I like the parts where the monsters fight and I you like I tuned out are there
2: any other Michelangelo masterworks that you would like to work? yeah no
1: there's a the, there's the scene where Mechagodzilla is like standing in repose and he looks like David mm-hmm. like yeah, yeah, carved yeah, yeah. out of marble oh, I think I we all that know what part too. I'm talking yeah, about yeah yeah um, no I, I tuned out thoroughly I folded a pile of laundry in it like I feel like I'm not responding to it the way that like I'm supposed to as a person talking about in a podcast but I enjoyed it so much watching it at home. It made me wish I was seeing it at a theater and maybe, like, tuning out to Whisper to people, but, like, still enjoying it. Like, I don't know what to do about the whole, like, post-human blockbuster thing left over from Godzilla versus this because I also found the human characters boring. But like the fact that I didn't care about it, I feel like, is more of the point than, like, whether or not it's intentionally – they're intentionally boring.
3: I think the characters of this movie are pretty good. And maybe – as good or better than the 2014 Godzilla, where I didn't care about the characters in that movie. You're just I'm trying sorry. to hurt the me. First, now. No, the first act of that movie, the characters stumble like Brian Cranston and I'm not falling registered. for this. But I actually like Rebecca Hall, and I like the girl who plays her kind of surrogate daughter, Shun Aguri, um, playing the kind of telepathic can communicate with Kong. Uh, all I girl, ask on like, this podcast can is that I say you refer to Rebecca thing Hall before as Before Godzilla Kong comes whisperer. with this radioactive That's breath and want. just shooting it all over the That's place, That's all I want. Jesus.
2: Just call her by her proper name.
3: Um, I, I I like their interactions. I like when she's out talking to Kong on the boat in the rain and having that moment. I like when they're down in Hollow Earth. Hollow Earth being like, holy shit! Like, look at all this stuff. It really We're does all in
2: Hollow Earth now. It
3: does work. It does work when you when they are the proxy for like gasping and and standing in awe of these titans. I actually think the way it's constructed is using the humans in the right way, not the commentary way of the old Godzilla, the first Godzilla movie, or Shin Godzilla, but it's using humans effectively. I saw a lot of discourse uh, after the movie came out that's like, let's just get rid of the humans completely. And I don't understand that at all. Like, what would you do in a movie that has no human interaction um like no human element it do- that doesn't make sense the to me human side all. of
2: this movie was doomed as soon as they cut Zhang Ji from the final from the final cut um, you know and all the didn't she play twins in the previous movie they were like secret twins yeah the moth
0: of twins whatever that movie yeah is awful. i mean this like,
2: this uh, franchise about is about kind of built on a rickety foundation the, but, the,
0: uh, this I, movie couldn't have made you care about the humans because then it would have man of steel itself because everyone in hong kong is dead Everyone in Hong Kong is dead. <laughs> yeah. Period. Yes. Everyone in Pensacola, Florida is dead. Oh well, yeah, no. but I didn't care about Pensacola, Florida. But they were already yeah, dead say, before. They're exactly. all QAnon followers. Exactly. Let's be honest.
2: <laughs> but like, they they were I, dead I mean... inside. I wish that I could do what I want to do, which is just write this off as a cilantro-like, um, you know, a, a distaste for this sort of material, and to say that I, I am uh, allergic to this particular flavor of fun, but. You know, I, I can't, I watch this and I just feel like it is, as I said earlier, a real standard lowering that the kind of thought and craft that would have gone into even the junkiest movies. And I know there's craft here. It's obvious just because it's computer generated in a lot of the cases that is very much a craft unto itself. But because it's so... To my eyes, anyway, uh, you know, awash in, in this, these really—it's such an ones.
3: insult to animators and anima- the art of animation.
2: Please, because I am, am deliberately going, going out of my way. way to to let them all. You're just bashing it, them. You're dragging, uh, them like I, dragging them like Godzilla. Dragging them like Godzilla off the bottom of the ocean. But it just—it all, even for like the Saturday morning cartoon vibe, which I know it's going for, and that people seem to really enjoy about it. Um, it doesn't need to be as deadly serious as the character the Edward's take for me to enjoy it. But, uh, I mean, just look at, like, Robert Rodriguez's most recent film with Pedro Pascal, Superheroes Are Us or whatever it was called. Like, I, I honestly can't remember. It came out on Christmas Day. I reviewed it. It's on Netflix. It's oh, We Can
1: Be easier Heroes? It's way cheesier than
2: this. We Can Be Heroes. It's delightful. Um, like, I, it's not the, the tone of the material that's putting me off. Um, it's just that it all just felt so... Boring and 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 like the way that they cut between the human characters, the way they introduced Millie Bobby Brown and Brian Tyree Henry subplot, just felt like you know, corporate group uh, writer's room thinking 101. And it was just like, man, ah, like Dave. deeply wounding how how low Hollywood. What was your have favorite scene? How little movie. hope I have for them.
3: Let's wrap it up. What was your what move? What moment did you really enjoy? My
0: favorite scene in the movie. This is great because we're all uh, on the exact same stream. So I have actually tweeted this. And then someone was like, when does that happen? And I was like, actually, uh, we could have the time code. So I'm stalling. (laughs) But what it is, is um, Godzilla has been firing his atomic breath at Kong. And Kong has discarded his axe. And uh, Godzilla realizes that Kong's absolutely fucked. And Godzilla looks right down the barrel of the camera and revealing why they had redesigned his mouth for this entire <laughs> movie. He cracks a smile and does like a Bowser chuckle. It is like the greatest thing. It happens at one hour, 24 minutes and 29 seconds Did you see to one hour, 24 Wingard minutes and 32 seconds. Wingard has been talking
3: seconds. about how Toho was restricting his ability to uh, let the monsters emote. He wanted them to be, as David put it, in- from his 2017 quote, intended to try and make the characters more emotional and, and, and present as characters. And uh, Toho, I guess, has really strict restrictions on, like, Godzilla is a god, okay? <laughs> He's not a mortal man who would uh, allow emotion to creep in. It's like, okay, now we can see the, the challenge of making these movies uh, through this license deal. This is this is going to be tough. I think Toho just needs to go make their Godzilla movies and be done with it. Like, I mean, they made uh,
0: Godzilla, you know, fly by his atomic breath and tucking his tail and do a little jig on another planet. So let, let Godzilla laugh. It's fucking done, it's He great. has moves. Yeah.
3: He has moves. I got to say, I really, again, to speak to, like, the variety of set pieces in this movie and the variety of fun I had um, – I noticed the weirdest thing, and I talked to Wingard about it in an interview, and and he confirmed, like, this was a thing. I couldn't believe it, which was during the Hong Kong fight, the Heave ship is, like, going in and out of the monsters, which I thought was really cool. And it reminded me so much of those kind of, like, uh, Star Tours, or for me, it was Back to the Future, the Ride. And Back to the Future Ride... You know, where you're going through, I think King Kong is even in that or something is like, oh no, it's a it, giant T Rex in the Molten Center of the Air. Yeah, Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yes,
1: obviously. There's a King yes. Kong
3: ride also at Universal Studios, which is not as spectacular, but yes, the T the Rex almost bites the DeLorean in that. And the heave mm-hmm. kind of flies through Kong and does the exact same thing. And I had this like immediate sense memory. I was like, this is back to the future of the ride. I mentioned it to Wingard. He's like, I absolutely love that. And I'm like, I feel like this movie achieves that. I'm sitting at home feeling like I'm at Universal Studios. Oh, and I say that is an acceptable and and worthy mm-hmm. art form.
2: I hit the pause button at 45 minutes, fully intending to stop. But for this podcast, for our listeners, who I hold dearly in my heart, I suffered through over hours the rest of this movie, but was so bored by then. I, Adam Wingard may just not be for me. I wish him nothing but the best, uh, but his Death Note, Adaptation for Netflix was was really. Oh yeah, grim. Death Note was, bad. Uh, that, oh, that was his, bad. His Blair Witch, I have actually Blair never Witch seen. rules. It's a great. Um, I, I would I like really like to it. see it. Was I, I thought it was cool that they were making it under an alias and it was like a secret Blair Witch movie. Once the cat was out of the bag, less so the guest. Uh, you know, I I like it for the movie that it's trying to be. Uh, Your next is fun. A horrible way to die is fun. I don't know, but I, and now he's doing a Thundercats movie supposedly. I think his. Blockbuster ambitions are not really in line with my blockbuster tastes, And that's Shocked. fine. We can both be out there in the world doing our thing. This movie was fucking painful for me. Um, and surely at least one that of our listeners. That brings me
3: more joy. I like it more now.
2: <laughs> I, you know what? I and I want you to have that joy, Patches. I don't want to take that away from you. Uh, surely one of our listeners, maybe even two if I'm, if I'm reaching for the stars, feels the same way I do. But... Uh,
1: You know, this is making me think though, David, like the, there is no quantifying what will be stupid joy for somebody. Like the fact that you have been singing Mm -hmm. the praises of below deck, but couldn't get on board with Godzilla versus Kong. It's not anyone's fault. It is not. (laughs) It means that there's just no objective like, there is, there are yeah, ways to gauge the craft of a movie, but, like, whether or not you'll get on something's wavelength and how it is trying to entertain you is, uh, is really true. hard It's true. Where
2: I raise my hackles is just because this comes at the expense of a different kind of blockbuster filmmaking that we're not getting as a result of it. There is a sort of fast food, uh, nothing but lights and colors that has really no real shape to the filmmaking, to my eyes anyway. Mm, I don't it, that's To this true. flavor of blockbusters, the, the rise of the Skywalker kind level cinematic digest that that, you know and I think the running time kind of speaks to this not that I wanted you know go watch any Sony movie of the last like five years go watch the
3: Marvel movie like these are the movies you're uh, frustrated by and somehow taking it out on Kong
2: no but uh, like we just don't get whenever there is a blockbuster that is sort of speaking my language Hollywood almost Shits the bed and feels like they have to apologize for it because it took it made enough choices to rankle some part of the community or or made just a smidgen less. Well, money don't worry, David. Go back the, to
3: Twitter and hashtag restore the uh, ire Snyder cut whatever mm-hmm. you're campaigning for. Don't
2: worry, you'll get your Suicide Squad. <laughs> I, yeah. I can't wait for my Suicide Squad with the shark man who eats people and has a British I'm, accent. I'm,
0: I'm going to disagree a little bit. I think the mo- the the type of movie this is taking its place is. Uh, Peter Jackson does the Kong and the girl on the boat scene in the rain, but for two and a half hours. Like I don't, I don't mind that this is replaced. There. I love that movie. Too. I mean, that was but a I fine, didn't that know, was a fine use. Never
2: problem with his with his King Kong. I mean, yes, it was as jacked up on CG as anything else, but because it it actually did put its time where its mouth is. I mean, it lived up to the empty promise <laughs> of it's Adam Wingard's where quote, its
1: mouth is. <laughs> you know, it,
2: but it fulfilled Adam Wingard's empty words here where it like actually did sing a song with those characters. It made you like them. I still remember from the one or two times I saw that movie vividly, Kyle Chandler's character and Jamie Bell's character and Andy Circus was doing God, um, and Kill Naomi Chandler's Watts movie. and all these people. And uh, yeah, I mean, is it a pale imitation of the original? Sure, but it's, it's obviously a playful now Chandler has now started rip, rip two on it? King Kong movies. Yes, yes. Movies? That's obscene. Uh, it has and two Godzilla movies. On the 1976 version. Um, whatever. I I just I, I really this felt like bottom of the barrel to me. Um, I am considerably more excited for uh, Mortal Kombat. I oh, I mean, if we could Mortal get on,
0: Kombat. we could get on that too. That's fine. That's like are, if you want to talk about you oh, talk about good God. use of special effects with fight choreography yeah, is just right just up get there. Get over here. With not once does. I Godzilla can't wait to hear you defend Mortal Kombat King in the Kong wake and of say,
2: this. "Get over here!" Oh, God. That's not his Please, skill I set. A, I have a noob cybot tattoo across my chest. Uh, my veins. Oh, so when you're standing in the mirror,
3: it says uh, it says his
2: name. The veins on my chest are are have molded themselves to match the look of Raiden. It was the silhouette of Ryden. Wow. I'm all in. Uh, Mortal Kombat. Um, but uh, as far as HBO Max blockbusters at home go, um, but this is, this is, uh, the inaugural, the first nominee for my annual, a cherry award for worst picture, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the cherry memorial award.
3: Unbelievable.
2: Um, it's this, and unfortunately for this movie, it's competition is cherry. So it's, mm, it's going to mm. be tough.
1: Yeah. It's gonna be a tough win to eke out. <laughs>
3: Dave, Dave, what's the final word on Godzilla vs. Kong? Uh, uh, all hail the king. we all kick. walk into the sunset.
1: That does it for this week's episode. We'll be back next week. We're talking about Search Party. Uh, I love having an entire TV show to talk about because we've been planning this legit for like... Long enough for us to all watch Search for so Party, long. Um, but like actively planned for like four or five weeks probably. So we'll have all watched Search Party. Um, it's on HBO Max. <laughs> we are going so heavy on HBO Max. Um, There's because, nothing you know, else. I mean, that is that was their strategy, and it's working. Although. Holy shit! I gotta look up the really safer woman in the window because that's absolutely gonna be one of my picks coming up. Is that uh, a Netflix
3: original? It's a film Netflix. Now? There uh, is nothing on Netflix. I, have we talked about this sidebar?
2: Just a horrible platform. How, how horrible. can do you want say to talk that about on, ship, on the week that we're getting a new Ben Falcone masterpiece? How dare you!
1: <laughs> I mean, there's a new season and nailed it.
3: I'll, I'll watch that for next week if you do. Anyway, we absolutely
2: not. No, I made a blood pact. You don't to want to know. What Melissa McCarthy is like as a superhero? I, I was in the middle of watching Super Intelligent last, uh, is this all part of the episode or are we just talking about uh, so this? Uh, this,
0: is, a good time to go this, this time. is on the air. Yeah, to-
2: I, I, I was in the middle of watching Super Intelligence, whenever the fuck that came out at the end of last year, when I slacked my colleague, my, my brave colleague, Kater Bland and said, there's another Ben Falcone movie coming in a couple months and so help me God you are reviewing it because I, I have really hit my limit. And uh, she, she fell on that sword for me and I appreciate that. But you know, you well, know Thunder Force is going to be good because the embargo is the exact same minute that it actually premieres on Netflix.
1: Well, in the meantime, tell the people who you are.
3: I'm Matt Patches, Senior Editor at Polygon. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. We have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com where you can listen to all the episodes, the new ones, the old ones, the quarter quells. Hint, hint. We might get a new one soon.
1: I mean, not that soon. Oh. will start dropping hints yet.
3: Maybe
0: every well, twenty-five like- episodes. I don't know how would you. How would they judge that?
3: <laughs> those are the good episodes, as we call them. And uh, you can, yeah, they're they're bigger meatier episodes. If you're starting the podcast, maybe go back and listen to those. That's how they get to know us the best. And don't you want to form parasocial relationships with us? Listen to bitingintheworm.com.
1: Not my turn, no, oh, it's me. God, damn, uh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: I, I'm David Ehrlich. I, I bow to many people. Um, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, David Ehrlich. More importantly, find all of us on iTunes at Fighting in the World. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes and read on the show. It's great fun, it helps the show, it gets us to know you a little bit better. You don't know us all uh, paving the way for what i hope is another uh live call-in episode soon i had so much fun doing that uh go on itunes
0: and i'm dave gonzalez you can follow me on twitter at da7e or you can listen to me on the storm a lost rewatch podcast where we're we're watching lost we're almost at the conclusion of season five which is an episode called the incident which if you watch lost very important episode come on over Come and join us. And then after that, you know, Damon Lindelof will drop by and explain some stuff to Joanna Robinson like he does. It'll be fun. It'll be a good time.
1: Uh, and I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com and on the Little Gold Men podcast, where this week our friend Joanna Robinson is talking to Lee Isaac Chung, director of Minari. It's going to be a good interview. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-E-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at FITWR. Where I don't know, you can sing the Mortal Kombat theme song to us if you want to, or you can answer this week's lightning round question. Which in honor
0: of Voyagers, what's your favorite space film that probes the human experience? Thanks for listening,
1: and we'll be back talking to you next week. (laughs) I said (laughs) that. I guess people can send us audio files on Voyager. (laughs)
3: Voyager, (laughs)
0: Voyager,
1: (laughs) please come. (laughs) Come A pom-pom, then the the gong, the bum, bum, bum. Now and then, I'm done. we ah. done. We're done.